Hey, hello, hi. It's Kit Kennedy and I'm back for another year with Unchurchable. Thank you so much to all those who've emailed, messaged and dare I say nagged me to bring this podcast back. I'll admit that the further along I get in my own deconstruction, the less emotional energy it consumes on a day-to-day level and that had affected the urgency I felt towards continuing to produce this podcast. But I will say this, deconstruction is one rancid onion. You peel a level down and there's another one there. Um, And I realize that there are lots of people on lots of different levels of deconstruction. Some still in church, some outside of church, some atheist, agnostic or, you know, whatever it is. Um, And I want to continue to create a place here that's safe for all of us. I want to pass the microphone to more people with stories to tell. I also want to take on particular issues and shout out. I would love to have some guests from places outside of classical evangelicalism. So if you are or you know of any Seventh-day Adventists, Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses who've left the fold, please connect them with me. I'd love to have a conversation. Um, something's been burning on my mind, though. They say there are two types of motivations in life the away from motivation and the toward motivation. Now, it could just be pop, psych, bullshit, but the first part of anyone's journey in deconstruction, for the most part anyway, is an away from type of motivation. We want to move away from bad theology, from abuses, from social structures that hurt us. But to stay in that place of moving away from means we have to, on some level, stay engaged in an emotional fight or flight part of our journey. When we're in flight, we're running away from the things that make our stomach churn. We're running away from the systems that oppressed us, or we're trying to fight the systems that oppressed us. Eventually, or even concurrently, I suppose, if you're one person who can find balance, we need to find a way to move towards something instead. And that's something that I want to put some energy into this year. The more I know about psychology and deconstruction in tandem, the more I know it's not just about realizing something was wrong. It's about reconditioning yourself on a nervous system level so you can live beyond the existential dread that so many of us got as a sign-up gift with evangelicalism, or dare I say it, the CPTSD we got as a parting gift. We are here on what I hope I can say is the back end of the pandemic. And I realize re-emergence into the world brings some weird new realities, uh, social anxieties for some people who haven't felt that before. Um, You know, there might be some new relational realities or economic realities. So I want to create space on this podcast for humor and um, the practice of living life to its fullest post-church and post-pandemic and finding our way in this weird new reality I suppose but I'll also be my classical nerdy self and pull apart bad theology with some interesting guests but all in all I'm excited Um, I just want to give you some context before we jump into this episode because I think it's uh, important to to talk about the cultural moment that we're living through Um, you know I guess for posterity but also to kind of inform the direction that we're taking This episode is dropping in a week when Brian Houston, the founder and global pastor of Hillsong, has resigned amidst sexual harassment claims. Um, At the time of recording, a leaked transcript of the Hillsong staff meeting has just gone live on Instagram. And having read it, it is grotesque in the way it doesn't address the victim's needs or the mammoth task of cleaning up the culture that allowed this to happen. It just does a lot of honouring of Brian and Bobby and a lot of talking about God turning up. There's two things there. Either the transcript is missing some things, which is a possibility, but I don't think it is. 
The other one, the other side note, mother cluckers, is that even in the traditional sense, God turns towards his people when they repent. And I didn't read a word of repentance in that transcript. So I'm not holding out hope for radical change within Hillsong. I am estimating, expecting a few more stories may come out though. Um, additionally, Christianity Today, a couple of weeks ago, hit the news for allowing sexual harassment to go unchecked for years. Now, this is a whole thing happening in a magazine that's been a main commentator on Christian culture for years and years. So I guess to sum up Christianity in 2022, one way or another, the Me Too movement has finally landed where it should have started. To sum it up in another way, shite is fucked. Either way, it's important, it is vital in fact, that you check in with yourself and make sure that you're okay. If you're a survival of church abuse of any type, our wounds may fester during this time, even if on a conscious level you're feeling great about the truth coming out. So call your therapist, call your friends, drink water, eat quality food, go for walks in the fresh air, get your body moving, or for all I care, buy a punching bag and go to town on it. Whatever you do, just don't wander around feeling lost, anxious, or unsettled, not knowing why I'm thinking you're the problem. We've been taught to ignore our bodies, but that's where trauma is stored, and it has weird ways of showing up. Anyway, on to the first episode. I know this has been a longer than usual introduction, but it's the first introduction this year, so, you know, you'll deal. Uh, In this first episode, we've got rage humor, roller derby, and edgy femininity with Becky Beasley from Also Your Daughters on the Gram. When I first saw her account pop up, I think I felt the way I felt about Jennifer Lawrence, like we were just destined to be best buddies. Anyway, it turns out she's a badass of a woman who is walking the road of deconstruction in a way that I find inspiring because she's showing up for herself, her daughters, and for other people by combining humor with the blunt honesty that we so badly need when we first walk away because the ability to call things what they are is sometimes just so hard, as is the ability to be ourselves in whatever form our self-expression needs to find. Uh, Becky's roller derby name is Sacrificial Slam and I just love it. It's got me thinking about what my roller derby name would be if I was anywhere near fit enough to compete. And I'm thinking perhaps it would be Shekinah Gory. Um, Anyway, first episode back. I hope it inspires you to release yourself from the expectations others have of trampling on your boundaries, interfering in your business or defining what kind of a person you need to be. I'm Kit Kennedy and this is Unchurchable. Hi, and welcome to the first episode of Unchurchable for whatever the hell year is this. Is it 2020 part three? I think (laughs) that we're in 2020 times two. Like, it's just, it's never ending. What the heck? What the heck? That's that's kind of my feelings exactly. I have to say, I've been kind of procrastinating a little bit about life and about getting back on on the podcasting bandwagon, but I've been so excited about this interview. Thank you for having me, for sure. <laughs> Super happy to, to help. So we've got Becky Beasley from Also Your Daughters. Now tell me about Tell me about you, tell me about that handle, tell me about your deconstruction work or just anything, basically. Let's just jump in. So the the handle comes from the Bible, (laughs) um, but I don't, um, I I don't need it like I used to, but I, it still means so much to me. It's part of my journey for what I could find from it because 
um, there was so much of the Bible that was used as a weapon Mm -hmm. against me because of my gender. So um, it really became a clawing to find freedom um, within the last year to find freedom from like why I need to separate from the Bible um, in order to find more healing. Yeah. Um, So it was, I found it, it's, it's two Bible verses. Uh, it's one is in, um, I'm starting to, I'm starting to forget what the other one's in. Isn't that wonderful? It's nice. nice. I love it. I absolutely love it. Uh, I'm not (laughs) even going to like stress about it. Um, I know the other one is in Acts. Yes. Um, so it's, it's just talking, it's talking about the end, the last days or whatever the fuck that even means. Oh, sorry. Can I say that? Oh, you can swear so much. I, um, not so much. You can swear as much as you like, but I said my first fuck at age 32, just after being kind of like, you know, disfellowshipped, I suppose. And I really need to rein it in, but (laughs) there's no other word like it. (laughs) So I'm not offended by swearing. Uh, I'm not offended by swearing. Look, you can say fruit or you can say sugar, honey, ice and tea, but sometimes it just doesn't beat the, you know, yeah, you can swear. (laughs) There's just that end, that ending syllable just yeah. packs a punch. It does. It just, oh, it, it really just does. Helps. And it just really, really helps. I was always told that ladies don't swear, you know, it's unladylike. Mm. And then I kind of grabbed onto the idea of biblical womanhood being the chick who drives a tent peg through a guy's skull and what is womanhood anyway yeah. I'm going to be what I'm going to be but yeah so I yes. kind of so so you're you're leaving how long have you been out of church deconstructing how long has that journey been for you um okay I left church in 2020 um, a year or two years ago 2020 left yeah. church the original um, 2020 yes the original 2020, 2020. yeah um we went back to church that following November because I was like, maybe it's what they say. Maybe it is just the church. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we gave it a good old college try. Yeah. Um, and we stayed until April the following year, um, week before Easter. Yeah. And I just, I was, at, so that was a year ago this time. Yeah. And a year ago this time, I was like, seething with rage about everything I experienced in yeah. the church. It was all starting to hit me. Yes. Yeah. And um I I was had I didn't realize this, but I was having panic attacks during worship services every week. Um <sighs> and I started to read um my biggest my biggest deconstruction, I was trying to find the book, but it's just like literally buried under so much shit right now. Um, <laughs> but the bit, the catalyst for me was reading um, Pagan Christianity oh. um, by, by uh, Frank, Frank Viola. That's his name. Wow. Pagan Christianity. And oh, that's so interesting. I have thoughts about this, but you know, yeah. It you know. freed me. It freed me so much. It, yeah. I was just like, everything we're doing is fake. Like this is so so dumb and it's yeah also appropriation of pagans and right what we took from them right like I actually wrote a blog series with a friend of mine we deconstructed out of the same network of just extremely in my opinion problematic churches um and she went 
like she she identifies well I don't know what she identifies now but she's she's pagan she's, she does witchy stuff um and I I really liked the idea of atheism but I just couldn't quite get there um because mm. I think there's some spiritual something I think there is something something like God but if I I refer to God um like I prefer the divine or I prefer prefer spirit or source anything that kind of decenters the white male bearded voyeuristic um obsessive guy in the sky from my psyche but yeah a friend of mine we did this this series together because the intersection of spiritual warfare and paganism like dude like immersive <laughs> worship services altered states of consciousness i mean <laughs> The intersection there is huge. The things we've appropriated. Oh, Christmas, God. Easter, let's start there. It, it, nothing is original. Nothing is original to Christianity. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's Even insane. hell, right? Even hell? Even hell. Even hell. So. Like, come on. <laughs> Not mean, an original thought behind those eyes. No, exactly. So <laughs> how... <laughs> You have managed to um, kind of marry humour and rage in in your, uh, <laughs> and I actually kind of love that. Ever referred to that way, and I adore that <laughs> humour and rage. I am here for that. I'm here for it. So am I. So am I. So, but what's the journey been like for you, kind of treading that line? I, it's been this is the most angry I've ever been in my life yeah um so there's been a lot of like oh you're probably too mad like this yeah. is probably too angry to put out but then I'm like put it out just yeah. do it it's yeah. like I'm sure it's going to resonate with somebody yeah and it, it, it mostly all does and yeah. that's that's great and it's very healing for me to just be able to put my thoughts out um out of me yeah. since I've had to have it so like shut in for so long mm -hmm. so it's been actually extremely therapeutic for me to just get my ang anger out but also like hashtag it funny and it's like yes you know yes. yeah oh yeah <laughs> this, I'm so angry but also at the same time <laughs> if we don't <laughs> laugh we cry this is a joke guys it's a joke guys it's all fine <laughs> I've... there's a tiktok sound for that that's like it's just a joke right this is just a joke it's just a joke <laughs> yes I yes. just resonate with so many TikTok sounds yeah well <laughs> I I have I'm old so I haven't really mastered how to do TikTok sounds I need to do that but anyway um <laughs> I do comedy for the same reason comedy and therapy comedy rage therapy into like it's a really nice kind of intersection um for that mm. but um but yes let's let's backtrack a little bit what was your experience of church and what were the and I guess these are two different uh questions uh what was your experience of church and what were the things that really broke the camel's back here in terms of you going fuck this I'm out um okay so my experience in church was I grew up Baptist um independent fundamental Baptist church. Okay. Jeez. Very, very patriarchal, very white centered, very, you know, just absolute, just a dick swinging party. Um, I feel like how I just spit this, like, 
the helicopter. Like you needed the visual. You need like you need the visual. So yeah, I I was raised in a household that was very conservative, very patriarchal. I was told that I wasn't allowed to leave my home until I got married, so that my dad could then pass over the like the property you are. Yeah, pass over the baton of being in charge of me to the next man. Boy did boy did my dad just not even realize who I was going to marry and how un how un he is of that. I don't even know how to explain it. Uh, look, say I think I think my dad may have actually said to my now ex husband, "She's your problem now." Um, so, God, like, come on. Yeah, well um, done, well done on the parenting. Then, if you have to go, she's your problem now to the next guy. Um, and just shaking my damn head. <laughs> You just can't with these men. Yeah, but I married a, a wonderful, egalitarian, very supportive, very, you know, wonderful man. Um, so <laughs> he's also... Same. Yeah, I mean... And I, feel, I feel like we're lucky. I yeah. feel like, you know, I feel like the man that I married to today, uh, we've been together 15 years Good on you. in May, which is weird. Yeah. Um, he's very respectful of me and never has ever like asserted authority over me or anything like that. He's, we've always been equal partners and it's always just been like, we're, we both are at, we're both at the same longitude together. So, yeah. So I, we, I married him and he, when we were dating, my dad was like, he has to come to church with us. My, and my husband's, uh, he, he's, he's a Christian and he was like, okay, fine, whatever. Dude hated my church. I hated my church, but like it was what it was. I had no escape from it. Yeah. Um, so we got married and he was like, I'm not attending that church anymore. And I was like, oh, you're the master. Like, okay. Like lead the way, lead the way, new daddy. Um, (laughs) Honestly, Now that I'm a single woman and dating, like when people like use terminology like that, like, you know, like your daddy, I'm like, <laughs> actually just <laughs> anyway. the one time that I was like, okay, with, with any type of male headship, I was like, oh, you're making me leave my church. Okay. okay let's go. <laughs> let's go. Yeah. So we went and we found a Wesleyan church. I don't know if you are familiar with the Wesleyan denomination, but they are very female affirming. They were some of the, one of the first denominations to ordain women as pastors and um, good vibes, lots of good vibes. Uh, And we attended a Wesleyan church for after that, up until I left in 2020. Right. So it was like a good, a good 12 12 years yeah amazing yeah so um the what what got me though was um how the church was able to harness um just a family drama (laughs) so like we went to church with my sister and her family yeah and the church ended up just like brutalizing our relationship it just it just got underneath both of our skins and it ruined things for us. And um, we had a leadership turnover and my sister and her family left. It's just one of those like real messy. What, I mean, what story is clean? There's, I mean, it's just, it's just life mess that happened. Yeah. Um, I was very hurt from everything that happened with my sister and very, I, I, it was, I was very 
damaged by it all. And the new pastor came in, caught wind of it and harnessed it for his, um, his good and like gained trust with me that way. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and ended up lying to me about a lot that went on with my sister and, and <clears throat> having that weaponized and finding out about that. Um, cause my sister and I were able to able, able to repair our relationship. Yeah. It was wonderful. It was very, it was, it was, it was amazing. I, I hoped. And at that point I had prayed for it for a long time mm-hmm. and we were able to repair. And as soon as we repaired, everything with the church started to crumble because the only thing that he had harnessed with me was them being the bad guy and him being the good guy. So, um, yeah, that's interesting. It just is so weird and just so absolutely insane. Like the amount of that, the amount that someone was willing to lie about and, and, and gain for his own whatever in a church yeah it's I, I can't even under like begin to understand and he was very much like I need these people to trust me yeah. I need these people to trust me saying that type of thing over and over again and I'm like I've never had to prove that I'm trustworthy no people find that out and yeah. my therapist is very much like when someone says something like that you need to listen to them because they're not trustworthy they're they're just not that no one has- who's trustworthy needs to say it repeatedly yeah, exactly. That is something that my therapist, um, and that seems to be something us deconstructors. If you don't, if you're deconstructing yeah. and you don't have a therapist, get one. Um, please get one if you can. Please, please, or life coach, or something like you need help. It's yes, because it's such a messy thing to work through. It is, and the oh. other thing is, you don't have to stick with the first therapist that you no. see. You, you absolutely do not. I was joking around on Twitter the other day because I'm currently doing a psych degree. I think I'm probably going to quit today, but anyway. Oh, me too. Oh, really? <laughs> Maybe I won't. Yeah. <laughs> I'm currently doing a psych degree. Don't and I was, Don't jo- I was joking that like if I was going to put something on my shingle, it would be speaks fundy and purity culture so you don't have to explain that shit <laughs> because I feel oh, like. what a beacon for right? people. Speaks <laughs> fundy. <laughs> Because, I love that. I mean, it's so hard to explain. I'm finding this in my normal life outside. Um, and I, I find that I'm having to decode normal a little bit because um, yeah. uh, we'll just call him Patrick, my ex-husband, Patrick. We are still best friends and we still move in the same circles. And sometimes <laughs> we'll be, he actually lives 200 metres away um, and we co-parent two beautiful kids together. But because we move in the same circles, sometimes we'll be hanging around, having drinks with the neighbours and one of us will just drop a story from our formative years growing up, Fundy. And then there'll be this awkward silence. Like people are like, are you kidding me? And we're like, oh, that, that's right. This was not normal. Um, so, <laughs> and it's funny for us, but for them, they're like, how do we react to this? Because it's so far outside normal. Like it's so, and, and you know, when you kind of grew up inside the church, I don't know whether you can relate to this experience, but like it was very much an us and them kind of thought yeah. process that was built in. It was oh, yeah. the saved and the unsaved, or even it was our church versus everybody else. And I remember um, the, and I'm using air quotes again, the, the presiding apostle over our church once said, mm. 
something along the lines of, or it might actually have been verbatim, but treat everyone in your church as if, treat everyone who's not in your church as if they are unsaved. So this kind of like really cultic level of us and them kind of creeps in and you're treating other Christians as if they're inferior. So like, but there was this whole kind of we're normal, the rest of the world is is abnormal and is dysfunctional. Nice. And and on navigating that on the outside and navigating raising a daughter on the outside when I'm having to almost reparent myself through teaching her things like assertiveness, emotional regulation within healthy mm-hmm. boundaries, because you can't learn assertiveness unless you learn anger. Like, you know. That's been a thing for me. And I think, yeah, yeah, so the reclaiming the right to be an angry woman is part of that, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I, I had so much anger with what happened with my sister and her family um, that I needed to be angry about, but I wasn't allowed to. And there were so yeah. many times where the pastor would just be like, you got to get that under control. But then he would like burst into rage over something with the church. And I would be, I would have to just be like, oh, he's just got a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. He's got a lot of pressure on him to run this church. Yeah. So I get it. So it was just, just an incredible double standard, incredible yeah. double standard. And, and I, I, now that I'm allowed to be angry, I'm going to fucking be angry Yeah. about what I need to be angry about. And I don't care. I don't yeah. care what people say. <laughs> yeah. Even myself, even myself, like telling myself, like, girl, you're too angry. And it's like, no. Yeah. So, so <laughs> let's, let's lean into your psych, your, your psychology degree a little bit here. Um, I want to talk about the unlearning on a nervous system level. How are you finding the, the deconditioning yourself to all of the rules and regulations around femininity, around appropriate expression of opinion or whatever how are you deprogramming yourself on a nervous system level because as you and I are learning and as I'm sure a lot of deconstructors are learning it's not just something that you can acknowledge in your head and then be okay with um it takes a lot more than that how are you finding that absolutely dude this is so weird because I just made I made a three-minute video about this um like last week literally about this um that's so crazy um, I think at the stem, the root of it all for me, the way that I find my way of deconditioning so that I can step into my femininity and step into, you know, just operating like, you know, everybody else is the, my roots of fundamentalism. And like, I want to just be like, I'm not a fundamentalist anymore. Yeah. But like you said, it's the conditioning Yeah. and it's like a whole operating system in our brain that has to be dewired and something that I'm learning in uh, my current site class right now um and like complete transparency this is my first site class like I am fresh fresh on the street like I I am these are new new things but I am just taking it all in um, so I just went through learning about um, classical conditioning and right. conditioning right. and reinforcement and all of that. And there was so much reinforcement and so much model behavior for me that I knew how to behave so that I would be accepted and approved of yep. and get, get the, 
get the approval I wanted so badly. Yeah. And that that cost me so much of myself and it cost me so much of my voice. Yeah. And so now when I am expressing my anger, my rage, as you call it, I love it so much. My <laughs> rage and humor. Um, <laughs> humor is right. Rage and humor. I don't know. One of the two. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Um, I, I have to tell myself, like, you are allowed to have these opinions and these feelings yeah. and you're allowed to express them however, the, however you need to. Yeah. So it's, and That's, it's just so, it's so easier said than done. I actually think, um, okay, so Psych 1A was where we learned about um, operant conditioning and classical conditioning. And we're going to go into this. I think this is a good time to go into this on this podcast. Um, yeah. I, I'm like halfway through. So uh, like, yeah, operant conditioning. Okay. Can, operant conditioning uses an instrument. So like Pavlov's dog was operant conditioning, wasn't it? So uh, that's classical. Yes. Oh, so classical. The only reason I know is because I just took my midterm on it. Tell so. me. <laughs> Tell us what is classical conditioning versus what is operant conditioning. And I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. Okay. Okay. I, I can't wait. So classical conditioning is taking a, um, a unconditional stimulus with the unconditional response to that unconditional stimulus and then harnessing it so that there is a, the stimulus, the unconditional stimulus becomes the conditional stimulants. Yes. And we get the reaction that we want out of with the conditional response. So Pavlov's, and it wasn't a dog, was it? It wasn't no, it was Pavlov's Pavlov Pav Pavlov whatever the yeah. word is Pavlov's dogs with the drool. Yes, so the bell wasn't like yeah. the dogs would hear a bell and then the food would yeah. come out. So the bell wasn't con connected yeah. to anything, but then they learnt to have a specific reaction and they would actually salivate yeah. at the sound of the bell. Um, which and ordinarily salivation is an olfactory function. You smell something and then yeah. the saliva comes. So that was the unconditioned response. Um, and then they introduced the bell. I realized when I did that class, I would have classical conditioning responses to worship music, which you mentioned Whoa. in the beginning. Yeah. And like I would ha actually have responses to halt in the worship music that would cause full-blown panic attacks because I was expecting um, things to happen then that, that would have caused panic attacks then. So, and you're nodding so hard right now. <laughs> so hard. Yeah. So hard. So. Oh, my God. This is a nervous system level thing. And, yeah. um, like, and just something little happened on the weekend um, I went to, like, I, I haven't seen my baby sister in two years because they're all inside, mm -hmm. like, my three younger sisters are all still inside dad's church and things are tense. Like, mm -hmm. I don't have any contact with dad, have very limited contact with mum and no authentic relationship with any of my siblings, which breaks my heart because mm -hmm. I love them so fiercely. But I hadn't seen my yeah. baby sister in two years. And just out of the blue, I got a message from one of them and she's like, oh, we're down for fashion week. And I knew that when they were down for fashion week, that meant that I wouldn't get ambushed. There wasn't going to be anywhere else, anyone else there that I wasn't expecting. So I was like, you know, fuck it. I'll go catch up with them. Yeah. I took the kids, which were a good kind of buffer because I just concentrated on the kids and everything. And we, we didn't talk about anything serious, which is good. I think that's what we can cope with. But so I'm sitting there in the... Um, in like the fairway of the shopping centre that we were at, 
with my sisters who I haven't seen or spent quality time with on like all in a group for like six years. Um, and then I hear the sound of a Korg. Now, a Korg, for those who don't know, is a, is a brand of synthesizer that is often used to play the Holy Ghost music, you know, the, just yeah. the, <laughs> just the, and the, the instinct is like as soon as you hear this particular synthy kind of sound, you just feel like you need to be got like arms up in the air, like people yeah. saying you worship. Oh, like it's time. <laughs> it's time. It's time. Be close your eyes, just you know, be subdued um, and you know, holy. But that was like it was an instant reaction. And it was an artist who was further down the fairway who was just playing kind of elevated music for the crowd. But that was the reaction I had. It was just like, oh, I feel like I should have, I feel like I should be worshiping right now. Who's watching me worship? It's like a it's like a uh uh pillar. Like a, a memory peg, a memory peg that um, we hear, we hear something. Like I, can, I, I had to get out of the, the habit of praying. Yes. Like I had to stop myself from praying that. Oh, my keys are lost. God help me find my keys. Oh wait, I'm, you don't need help me find my keys. I need to find my keys myself. Like yeah, you know, like that type of stuff. It was just like the yeah, just the habitual. Yeah. Oh, I got to This is it. This is what I got to do now. Yeah. Car parks. Another thing. God does not care whether you get a car park close well, to the shop. Freaking doesn't care about not your care. car keys in your parking spot, or they whatever, they, whoever they, they are. They don't have. They not. They don't care. Yeah. So, so for me, deconditioning the panic attacks during worship music was a big deal. And I went. I went to church for another two years after disfellowship from dads. I went to church for another two, yeah, 2000, 2020 was when I stopped as well. So, yeah, I was already running the podcast by then, which was cheeky, um, <laughs> running a podcast called Unchurchable while leading worship at a Baptist. <laughs> I love that. I was doing mine as I was exiting. I yeah. wasn't, I was just like attending. Yeah. So I was, I like refused to get involved. And then I yeah. was like, it's kind of selfish to like not get involved but like you're taking you know advantage of whatever they're offering but I'm like no I, yeah. it's not selfish I'm not I am yeah. not getting in bed with yeah. people again <laughs> no and um little little things that are just huge things things like saying no how are you doing with that like deconditioning praying I'm, reclaiming reclaiming I, rage humor, yeah. but also saying no how do you do with that Oh, I had a whole, I was, I, so I had to set a boundary with some people that were in my life, um, last November to January, um, November, 2021, no, November, 2020 into November, January, 2021. So right over Christmas, super fun. Oh, (laughs) they were just, they were taking so much advantage of me. Yeah. And I was having, uh, frequent panic attacks because I knew yeah I knew that I needed to say something but like my flesh wouldn't yeah say it yeah and I had to do so much therapy I like went back to therapy because of these people yeah and I've stayed it ever since uh going strong yes <laughs> um but she I she my therapist had to teach me how to say no yeah because I didn't know how to do it yeah and I didn't know I was allowed to do it yeah. And now I'm like, I feel like once you get like the big one out of the way, the next one is 
hopefully the next one's easier. So you can yeah. just be like, no. no yes, exactly. I, so that. I, I can say no all the time now. I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> you know what? Everybody's going to do it in their own time. Yeah. Watch me have it. Watch me have to set a good boundary soon. And I'm going to be like snot faced with my therapist, like in the next month or so, just watch it happen. Well, and I have no shame about it. It's just saying no is hard and it's uncomfortable. You never know how people are going to react. Yeah. Deconditioning yeah. is hard and it is uncomfortable. And I like that you're honest about that because I feel like, um, it's hard to be honest about the mechanics of what's going on in your deconstruction journey when you feel a little bit of pressure to be so, so happy all the time and so, so much better off on the outside. And there's like, you know, like I'm free now. And as soon as there's any kind of negative thing that happens in your life that you feel like it might be ammunition to people from your past church yeah. lives to go oh it's the judgment I've got um and oh my god yeah. all, all of that BS um yeah I find this particularly interesting for women um because our emotional range had been so restricted to acceptable female emotions of submission acceptance yes. agreement um joy and peace joy um so yeah so leaning into feminism leaning into intellectual strength leaning into um just the ability to to be authentically yourself and to express anger has been like a theme that I've seen across a lot of the deconstructors and and I know that you get a lot of message from other deconstructors have you seen a similar thing yeah absolutely it's I I think the most that I get from I mean I I do I get it from other deconstructors for sure yeah um I get it from a lot of quiet deconstructors who are like I can't I can't talk about this but like the fact that you do is really helpful to me yeah and then often they will share with me like things that they're going through and I just I I make sure that when they decide to open up and share with me that I take as best care of them as I can that's within my power to do so and I just like to give them permission to be like you can you can say that this isn't okay that's happening to you and yeah you don't have to stay in this environment and that's easier said than done of course and ripping myself away from my community was Mm gut-wrenching it was horrific yes but in the end it has been the absolute best thing for me yeah um and the last thing that happened when I was leaving my my community was setting a boundary with my pastor who I so lovingly call the ex-douchebag pastor what do I call the douchebag ex-packer I call him something yeah something Um, he still he still occupies some some of my headspace and I think that that's okay because he he is my abuser yeah um but he he I, I was setting a boundary with him and he came after me yeah. Because I set a boundary with him. So then yeah. I was like, man, every person I set a boundary with is going to harass me and text me 57 times in an hour and call me and call me and call me and call me. And that um, is what we call then, classical conditioning. Oh, <laughs> oh. Yeah. Which ended ended up in uh, me looking down at his like 67th text he sent me and missing a curve on the road and driving into a tree. So <gasps> 
yeah, that was the catalyst for me. That was to answer your question from yeah. a couple of questions ago. That was the straw that broke my camel's back was the car accident that I got in. Wow. Because he was God. me. So, um, you know, that is I, I, huge. Yeah. Yeah. That and, is huge. Wow. Wow. I'm just going to see that for a moment, mm, but continue. <laughs> so, yeah, I, the, the coming back home or coming home, cause I don't even really ever feel like I've been home and with myself. Cause I've always been like pruning and preening and trying to be the person everybody wants me to be. Yeah. So coming home to myself at the bottom of that, which is being a feminist, which is, um, you know, learning about white supremacy and it is um, teaching my children how to be in touch and in, in, in at home in their own bodies. Yes. And just basically learning about all these ideas that were so radicalized in yeah. the church is where, <laughs> where I'm finding home. Yeah. And it's just so, it's just insane to me. It's that, just a wild journey. Everything that you just said rings true because parenthood was a huge catalyst for me. Um, yeah. And like, because I had my son first, my daughter second. Um, yeah, I mean, having a son, or having a baby at all, because I'd had four miscarriages in the year leading up to us leaving. And it was like on a nervous system level, my body knew you cannot bring a baby into this. You can't. Wow. And then the day we found out I was pregnant with Henry was also the day that the wheels exploded off with my dad and my then husband. Um, and it was like on a nervous system level, my body went, you're going to be out soon. And it was the fight of our life. It was horrendous five months for us as well. I think four or five months um, that we gave it the good college try, but having a daughter made me realize having a daughter 16 months later made me realize I had a lot to deconstruct because I, like you had never felt at home with myself. I felt like there was a story about me that was kind of propagated amongst the church because I was clever and I was talented. So they wanted me to be crazy so that I couldn't like, so when I asked questions, I felt like they wanted me to be crazy. So that when I asked questions, it was like Claire's being crazy again. Sorry, Claire's my real name. Everyone knows that, but like Kit Kennedy is my alias. Kit, Kit's being crazy. Oh, anyway, mucks that up. I love both of those names. Both of those <laughs> names are adorable. <laughs> um, they could go, oh yeah, she's been crazy. That's that's the story that we have about her. Yeah. But I felt like a bonsai tree in a lot of ways, just twisted and minimized to fit the shape of what they wanted me to be. So when that glass shatters and you're outside and you're now allowed to be what you are, there's this moment of, well, what the fuck am I? Um, you know, am I we don't know. Am I an extrovert or is that just what was expected of me? Am I allowed wow. to sit at home on a Saturday when the kids are at their dad's and be okay with that? Or should, be, should I be socialising? There's a whole lot of coming home to yourself and also bodily autonomy, teaching the kids that their bodies are their own and they're not evil. Mm-hmm. That's been a thing, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Have you got mm-hmm. boys or girls? I have two girls. Oh, also your daughters. <laughs> also your daughters. Yeah, there's, they were a big, huge portion for me as well. And 
I, I always said I would, before I had my kids, I was like, obviously I'm spanking. I was spanked. I'm going to spank. I'm fine. And then I met, (laughs) yeah, I'm fine. I met them and I was like, I can't do this. Like I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't. They're, they're too innocent and they're children. Yeah. They're children. They're motivated by survival on an, on an evolutionary level. And yes, I said the E-bomb. I said the E-bomb. Okay. Oh, (laughs) on an evolutionary level, they're they're, they're programmed for survival. They need what they need. It's not original sin that makes them throw a tantrum. It's that was what was said to me my whole life. Yeah. Like a kid having an absolute meltdown on the floor and everybody would go send nature. Yeah. And I, I'm just like, think about that now and I'm like fucking bitches like yeah yeah take, take care of this kid like holy, <laughs> holy shit like just yeah. there's no humanity allowed to be had yeah none yeah. children had to be quiet children are there for for they are property they are owned by their their parents they are not to express themselves in any way that embarrasses their parents and yep. you know if you're a woman you get in the back and you be quiet and, or you yep. want to play the piano so you can play the piano for church and <laughs> it's just endless it's a crazy cycle yeah I still have a piano in the shed I haven't touched it in years oh we have a piano and I really really like it and I very very rarely play it my husband loves it when I play it but it's just there's so much associated and so again associated. conditioning ah. <laughs> it's conditioning it is because Wait, i got this this doesn't get touched because oh the guitar, the guitar do you know what my son is obsessed with the guitar because i've got one as well can't pronounce it though he calls it the kanta <laughs> <laughs> And I'm just so correct him ever. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't. Um, but the the kid thing is so interesting. I don't believe that kids are born evil. You can't hold a baby in your arms and go original sin. But a Ooh. profound example of this happened this week. Um, my daughter has been throwing mind blowing tantrums before bed huge so she's four and that's a whole thing Uh, it's a whole thing when you decide that you're not going to spank your children (laughs) and look it's not going to help the situation anyway um so after a week of dealing with these tantrums um which because patrick and i do three days on three days well three days rotation because you're never off parenthood duty you're always on yeah but He's had to call, like I've had to call him, FaceTime him to calm her down or he's had to FaceTime me to calm her down like big. Do you know what we figured it out? It was allergies. It was allergies. It's not original sin, guys. It's allergies. She's uncomfortable. She's, her skin's irritated. She's, she doesn't know how to, like, express that. She's frustrated. Right. She's tired. Her eyes are itchy. They're especially itchy when it's not original sin, guys. So do we punish a child for having allergies? Do we punish her for having like tummy discomfort because of stuff that she's eaten? We don't spank for that. Uh, No. But we would have in in my fundamentalist life, I would have. I would have physically hurt my child for being physically hurt. 
And that kind of game of sliding doors that sometimes I play in my mind, that I go, what kind of mother am I now versus what kind of mother would I have been if I was still on the inside? It's scary because on the inside there was a, a, a clear set of rules that it was like you do this, you don't do this, and they, this is right and your child will, will, will fit in with this. But on the outside there's a whole lot of unknown, but I'm more comfortable in the unknown because at least I'm exploring it and I'm mm. introspective about it. That is beautiful. Yeah. That's, I love that. It's <laughs> So yeah, so that that's my thoughts on it. Um, but yeah, two daughters. Wow. So are you raising little feminists? Oh hell yeah! <laughs> they just got that that um, new movie, uh, Becoming Red. Oh, it's a new Disney film. Uh, this film has sparked so much controversy. Really? In the in the church, um, because it's I don't want to spoil it for you or anybody else but spoiler alert um, it's so good it's so good you gotta watch it um it's about a 13 year old girl in 2002 which just is me um and she she, she's asian i I believe she's korean descent and her parents run the um local temple for them in their their community (laughs) triggered already and they actually are based in Canada which I thought was really cool like there hasn't been many Disney movies that are based in Canada no you know that have been openly openly based in Canada yeah um or be I mean they've done Kung Fu Panda and stuff but that's about Kung Fu this isn't about like (laughs) religion yes yeah so anyways that is sparking controversy um and then she turns into, I guess, the panda that is her family's uh, protector, ancestral yeah. protector. Um, yeah. And she, so every, every woman in the family turns into this panda, but um, she doesn't know that in her, and she's like trying to hide the fact that she's this like huge red panda from her mom. And her mom thinks she got her period. And <laughs> And like a big heavy part of this movie is about heavy is like a really yeah. not intended, but yeah, <laughs> good on you. <laughs> it's a really, really central part of the movie, and people are like, "This is inappropriate. We don't need to be talking about women's periods." And, and my little, my my nine year old had watched it before me, and she goes, "Mom, you're gonna love this movie. This movie is about women. Oh. You're gonna love it." And I was like let's go let's go watch it so I settle in with my girls and we're watching it and she and they're and both of them my oldest is nine my youngest is seven both of them know all about periods periods are something that we discuss frequently yeah neither of them have it yeah neither of them have it but um they know about it yeah and so my seven-year-old is sitting next to me and she goes mom she's gonna her mom thinks she's getting her period but she doesn't like (laughs) Just having to be like this, like normal language that is just normalized in my home. Yeah. Um, Giving them age appropriate sex education. Yeah. Is everything that I wish that I had been given, but I wasn't. I had no idea what was happening to me when I had my period. No. I didn't even know what the function of it was. I had no clue. Yeah. None. Yeah. Same. And I I think, I think I've told this story before, but I, just I got my period when I was playing at my friend's house 
and I just thought I was dying. So I got, I got, I got the mother to take me home. Oh. I was like, and I didn't tell her was what was going on. And I walk in, and Mum is sitting at the table with this this lady. I think her name was Helen, and she'd just come back from a trip overseas where she'd got mad cow disease. I'm thinking, how do I compete with mad cow disease? And so I just went into my room to lie down and die. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and I told my mum what was happening when eventually Mad Cow left um, and I got the, the purity talk and not the period talk. I got the purity talk and then it was kind of like, oh, yeah, this will happen roughly every 28 days and it will hurt a bit. Um, oh, and here's James Dobson's preparing for adolescence and a packet of pads um, and I didn't know how to put them in. So the first time I put it in upside down, with the sticky side up, which is just like, Ow. just, just terrible, Ow. just terrible. But like, so now there's like my, I've got a four-year-old and a five-year-old. My daughter's four, my, my son's five and a half. Don't forget the half. Don't um, forget it. And I was like, okay, because we've taught them to use penis and vagina. Like we, yeah. we don't use other words um, for like, you know, and I know I should probably say vulva and, and stuff like that, but I don't. Um, but hey, vagina is a big improvement on what I grew up calling it. Um, and right, right. the other day, like one of them asked where, where babies come from. And I was like, I'm not ready to have that conversation. They can have that conversation with their dad. But I was like, so I, I was like, oh, babies come out your vagina. And my son was like, what? And I was like, yeah. And, and boobs aren't just for looks. They're to feed the baby. And he was like, what? And my daughter, Allegra, she's just like, that was her reaction, an evil laugh. I do not understand. I'm scared of this child. But there's no body shame with her. Sometimes I wish there would be so she'd keep her pants on. But, like, you know, she's a child. She's innocent. Like She's four. She's, she's four. four. She's in her, her world is hers, and that's all she knows. Yeah. And, and I respect that. I respect well, it. I'll be making them, I'll be having her watch red. That's, <laughs> I don't think it's yeah. empty yet. I don't think it's coming out. Maybe, but, maybe I don't know how Australia and America things work separately or whatever it is. Usually we're a bit behind you. Yeah. Okay. okay. Like, Even know, though like, you're a day ahead of us. Yes. But like the 80s got here in like 1982 kind of thing. Like, okay. you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little late. It's, just, it's not hugely late. It's just like a little bit late. No. <laughs> It's no fault of your own. It's just, you know, whatever. <laughs> so I know that you're off to your roller derby um, AGM soon, which I love. Do you, like, do you have roller derby names? Like, I do. Um, <laughs> so I, my roller derby name pre-COVID was Strawberry Smash Cake. Okay. It's a big strawberry, strawberry uh, sh- shortcake. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Loved her. Post-COVID? But. Post-COVID, I've had such a deep transformation. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was like, I can't come back as Smash. I am not Smash anymore. I, that, that girl, in all honesty, is dead. Yes. Um, so I am now Sacrificial Slam. <laughs> that is so good. <laughs> we joked around because the first female prime minister of Australia was Julia Gillard. Um, and there is a, a recording artist over here um, named Delta Goodrum. She actually dated Nick Jonas around the time he stopped wearing his purity <laughs> ring. Mm. Oh. Uh, <laughs> that's a whole nother. Monumental moment. 
But yeah, so my two roller derby names were going to be Julia Kilhard or Delta Hoodlum. So <laughs> they were they were my I two. Love, I love both. I absolutely <laughs> adore both. One of my favorite roller derby um, skaters is from Australia. Her name's Lady Trample. Oh, I adore her. Oh. Amazing. She actually married um, a U.S. roller uh, roller derby girl named um, Scald Eagle. Oh my and they're god! The cutest couple. Of all time. Love it. So, so obviously, like, roller derby is probably not something that you would have been allowed to do when you were a Wesleyan or a Baptist girl, huh? I did. I joined when I was 30, when I was a Wesleyan. Okay. okay. Was, wow. Albeit, there was some evangelism undertones. <laughs> okay. Joe had me, though. Joe okay. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Losing the evangelical undertones. Do you find yourself pity-friending people still? No. no. I'm no. so behind you, which is okay. I'm learning and growing at my it own. That's fine. Yeah, I should just, it's part of my rage. I'm not going to fucking be your friend if you are not. If, if you're going to be a bitch, I don't have to be yeah. your friend. Like I, I was such a doormat before. Yeah. So now I'm like, you have to earn my friendship. You have to earn it. Okay. Um, this is actually, talk to me more about this because I still find like, and this being inclusive, but that's not an effort for me. Okay. Like inclusive's fine, but boundaries, which you've talked on a lot here. This is obviously something you've done a lot of work on that I'm like a lot of us are still working on that. We'll still get the fear and trembling when we have to set a boundary. We'll still, you know, um, or we'll still kind of encounter someone and have our, the skin kind of crawl a little bit, but you feel like you have to reach out to them um, because of conditioning. (laughs) I'm coming back to that. So what were the big key learnings for you or, or how did you outgrow that conditioning? How did you unlearn it? I mean, at the top of the list is, therapy week in and week out yeah um just because I was going off of absolutely nothing yeah I had nothing to base it on whatsoever and then the we call my me and my therapist call the people who I had to set a boundary with the boundaryless people so that's how we are that's how they are known um I think I've had to hone in on this so much because boundaries were my catalyst for leaving the church and they um caused me a lot of trauma um they do inspire a lot of trauma response in me Mm-hmm. So, um, being able to hone in on that and kind of get, I mean, maybe not like a, maybe a, getting a grip isn't the correct language for that, but being able to just have, um, healthy parameters around yeah. boundaries. So I can stay my, it's called the locus of, of control. Yeah. I think that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been able to find that I actually had like a little bit of a blow up at, um, practice. I'm a coach. Yeah. Um, so I lead practices and I, I coach our team and I had, um, someone who has not been someone who I have been interested in being a friend with because mm-hmm. she just hasn't been friendly to me. She's, yeah. uh, gone out of her way to embarrass me, to make me look stupid in front of everybody, um, at practice and stuff. So I'm just kind of like, you don't, you are at an arm's arm's length. Yeah, we're not, yeah. we're not friends. Um, and so I was leading practice and she, um, was jamming and that's the person who gets through all the blockers to score points this was at practice she jammed 
like a, a bat out of hell. She's very strong. Yeah. We are all coming back from two, almost two years of no roller derby. Yeah. All of us are like, you know, regaining fitness. Sausages. Like yeah. we are, we are just, <laughs> yeah, flab all around. Yeah. Um, not that flab is bad, but yeah. when you want to play roller derby, you got to build up your muscles again. So she comes, she's a bat out of hell coming out of the, the jam start. She knocks over one of our returning skaters and she sprains her ankle, but she keeps going around the track and I have to call off the jam. And I, I'm, I watched the whole thing happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't want to like embarrass her the way she yeah. embarrassed me. I didn't want to be like, look what you did. Yeah. So I was, I just said, guys, as a, as a, um, public service announcement, yeah, we need to tone down our jamming and, and just any, all of it, tone yeah. it all down because we are, we're, we're fresh. We're fresh yeah. here. We need, to, we need to just, you know, not, not be going crazy. And she goes, she goes, well, I know who can take my hits. And I said, well, yeah. The person that you knocked down is one of those people who could take your hits and now her ankle is sprained. And yeah. she goes, I didn't touch her. And I said, I watched you do it. You yeah. did touch her. And now her ankle is sprained. Oh, she lost it. Oh, wow. She like went insane and spiraled for the rest of practice going around and saying, you didn't see me touch her, right? You didn't oh, see me gosh. touch her, right? Like going around. And then she requested a meeting with us afterwards with coaching and training. Yeah. And I was like, this is, this is it. This is, yes. this is, uh, you know, her, she's going to come in and like character assassinate me and, yeah. and just try to destroy my reputation here. Like yeah. it happened, like it happened at my church. And it was so amazing because all the other coaches were like, slam, we have your back. It's going to be, oh. it's going to be okay. We're going to talk about this. It's going to yeah. be fine. And like, I I've heard that before from the church. They had yeah. my back. They supposedly had my back. Yeah. But then when we came down to it, crickets. Yeah. Complete abandonment. Yeah. And that didn't happen this time. They oh. all had my, they actually all had my back yeah. and they, and, and we had a productive conversation. It wasn't a shit on me and it wasn't a shit on her. It was, yeah. we're going to talk about this. And her and I ended up forming a truce. Yeah. Saying that we'll both put effort into our relationship. Yeah. Um, and we've done that. Amazing. And I, it was just one of those things where I would have never allowed myself yeah. to say, well, I did see you hit her and, yeah. and then have a productive conversation afterwards. Yeah. So that's it's actually like, gross. That's oh, huge. Wow. And then the, the, the whole, the big, the big to do about it all was I usually get in my car after stuff like that and cry. Yeah. And I didn't cry. Oh my God. Like, it would have been okay if I had cried. It would have been okay. And yeah. like, I even tried to do like one of those, like I was driving home and I tried to like, I was like, do I need to make myself cry? To, like, get it <laughs> like, I kind of want to get the crying out before I get home. And I did like the, Ooh. and then I was like, I'm not crying. Like, <laughs> that is amazing. I'm so proud of you. Gosh. <laughs> oh, that is so that good. good times. But, but I mean, I, I find that celebrating like you do need to celebrate these moments um and I don't know how long for I don't know how long it takes for a person to adjust to normal or to decondition Christianity or to learn or not Christianity to decondition toxic evangelicalism or toxic fundamentalism or toxic positivity or 
gosh, toxic masculinity, that takes a long while, doesn't it? Um, you know, and, and to step up into the kind of women that we can be. Um, and it's, it's really interesting. A lot of people that I've interviewed, the catalyst or the straw that broke the camel's back has been equality, whether it was LGBT equality, whether it was like feminine equality, but I find it so interesting that yours was boundaries um, because, and, and essentially clergy harassment, like that is actually just a really interesting thing. And I'm so glad that you've said it on the podcast because um, there's, there's a whole lot of different reasons that you might choose to walk away from organized religion. And that it doesn't have to, you don't have to choose it from a, from a set list of acceptable things. Like when you move into the deconstruction community, some people are great at it. Um, some people kind of try to bring their dogma in and kind of everyone must deconstruct towards event to, towards atheism or must deconstruct this way or that way. Yeah. There's, and the whole thing is there's no rules. This whole thing is yeah. you do you, but yeah. if boundaries are something that is consistently being encroached on, or if you're consistently being pushed to a place that is not okay, if people are interfering in, in your case, family relationships, and that's fucking huge. Like I can recall so many instances over my evangelical life where families have been blown apart by, um, by leadership interference um, sometimes under the guise of spiritual fathering, which is a term that just makes me kind of want to vomit now. Um, yeah. But yeah, boundaries are massive because like really we, we don't have to, we don't have to live by somebody else's rules. We have to live in a society. We have to like drive on the correct side of the road, wear our seatbelts, you know, we have to function within a society, but we don't have yeah. to bring our lives completely under submission to somebody who may be a narcissist or who's not going to respect our boundaries. It's got to go both ways. So yes. what would you say to people who are maybe still on the inside or maybe still feeling guilty that they've left about the issue of boundaries? So <clears throat> the situation with me at roller derby and calling out my, the skater who knocked down the other person, I would have, before I would have been riddled with guilt. Yes. I, that I was wrong to say that I, I shouldn't have said that I should have should have been more, more, um, I should have either just never said anything or said it in a softer way. And I had to start to separate what the real me is underneath all of it, away from the guilt, away from the expectations of what a woman is, mm -hmm. um, if, and, who, and who Becky is at the, at the heart of it all. Yeah. And I had to I, I, I hate this because I don't, I know not everybody has access to therapy. I really, I, I, I acknowledge that. Yeah. And um, my hope is that if you do, you start that process and start looking into it. And it's not a fun, it's not fun at all. Yeah. Um, the first few weeks of my therapy um, with this person who I found that I have, I have never jived with someone more than I have with this woman that I mm -hmm. know. I was I hated therapy. Yeah. I hated it. I was like, my world is falling apart. Like I felt like so much of it was being, she was like calling, calling out stuff yeah. that I wanted to keep hidden yeah. and keep hot, keep it hiding. But like 
I, by not acknowledging a lot of the stuff that had gone on in my life, I was trapped. Yes. I was trapped in it by keeping it, keeping it secret and not naming it. So, um, getting out of, getting out of fundamentalism and getting out of the toxic, the toxicity of it all. It's, you need someone walking by Mm -hmm. your side who's Mm -hmm. professional. Yes. Uh, Whether it be a life coach, whether it be therapist, I don't know what else, whoever else, because your best friend isn't going to be able to do it for you. Oftentimes your best friend's going to drop you. Um, Mm. like, like mine has, (laughs) um, and, and that's just what it is. Yeah. You need someone who you're paying, who is a professional, who's going to hold hands with you in a professional way. Yeah. Um, as you walk through all of this, um, and I just, I don't think I would have gotten like, yes, the work is mine that I've done, but my, my therapist has really been the person who's been my beacon in the storm Yeah. and has me the ability to name so much of what I have yes. um, suffered through. Yes. Naming it. Oh, that is hard work. And it's something mm. that I'd love to do, and actually I might chat to Phil Drysdale about this because I think we need to maybe get names of therapists across the US, Australia, and the UK that actually are trauma-informed within like religious trauma purity culture and stuff like that because I do feel like the first few sessions of therapy it's an audit of your life like yes and that's that's exhausting I mean you need to take yourself some Gatorade or something with electrolytes and you need to just like put put like lip gloss on your nose or something before you go because you're gonna cry you're gonna cry yep but it's about kind of because the therapist needs to assess what's gone on with you and what a lot of us don't understand is under the guise of discipleship under the guise of submission under the guise of evangelism or christianity or accountability or honor we have been mistreated we have been placed under coercive control we have had other people control our finances our relationships our ability to have a voice in a relationship who we're friends with on an authentic level, if we have anyone we're friends with on an authentic level, who we're reaching out to. And this creates a life that is so controlled by other people and that you don't have any ability to set boundaries that when you step outside of, um, of, of, you know, fundamentalism or evangelicalism, you can feel like what you felt like coming back to roller derby after two years just but just like jelly just like there's no structures anywhere here I'm not strong enough I'm all over the place how do I get back together to a point where I can withstand anything and the point is that beforehand you weren't withstanding anything you were existing within somebody else's structures you were a jelly mold that was so you know unable to be yourself now that you're on the outside how you navigate that it's hard work and, you know, my, my neighbours, they don't understand what I've been through. They want to, but they don't. Um, one of my <laughs> other neighbours, she's deconstructing now. I can, I can rant to her, but, and I do sometimes. She's a wonderful friend, but I don't want to inform the direction that she's deconstructing into, you know, like. Yeah. So my therapist yeah. and my ex-husband, like last night I went around and sat on the couch with him. Instead of going speed dating, I ditched speed dating to sit with my ex-husband and drink wine and whinge about work. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I love that for you. 
<laughs> and it's because work is like it's so good for me but it's so hard because I'm being I, I have the opportunity of my dreams but it's bringing me up against every single trauma block that that I've got left over from my evangelical life oh. um and so that's super fun but anyway I've, I've ranted for a while now <laughs> <laughs> and you're just finding faces of agreement over there. So boundaries no, is. No, I'm, I'm absolutely adoring what you're saying. <laughs> I, I just feel I'm so thankful for this conversation that we've had because it's just encapsulated and it's circled back to so much of what we started off by talking with. And I think that there's just, we've had this great conversation with such a great resolve. And I think that it's just kind of like a little snippet of what we can find in deconstruction yeah um is that we can find our resolve amongst each other yeah. and support amongst each other because there's we are so niche yes it's so we're so weird <laughs> what we've got <gone> <laughs> oh my god but like we can we have been able to form such great new community amongst yeah. each other as we work through this shit and yeah and i hope one day that i can be on the list of religious trauma-informed therapist yeah. that gets circulate circulated yeah just, that's my that's my major goal yeah I just want to be able to help people through this because I can I've got yeah. like, I've got a different lens that other people might not have yeah I love it and I need to let you go to your roller derby AGM <laughs> um but I guess in closing, if you're new to the world of deconstruction, follow Becky uh, on Instagram. Also, your daughter's um, is your handle. Now, I love the the rage humor. I'm calling it rage humor um, because it allows us to reclaim the fact that you can be feminine as fuck and still be angry <laughs> and mm. still have humor about it, um, and that that is okay. And you know, raising strong girls is a beautiful thing. And we're going to chat again. I'm absolutely sure of it. But if you're yes. new to the world yeah. of deconstruction, get a therapist. Um, I also would suggest follow Becky, follow me, um, follow people like Phil Drysdale um, is another great one. And, and just have a look around the deconstruction kind of community because you need support. You need people who understand you, even if they're on the internet and can just validate that what you're going through, you're not the weirdest person on the planet. You're not dysfunctional. You're not any of these things. You're learning a new way of life after having something really restrictive imposed on you. So um, we're here and we, we laugh at things because if you don't laugh, you'll cry sometimes. And we like to do both. So. Yeah, both are great. Both are absolutely great. great. So thank you so much, Becky. I've loved having our chat. And um, yes, yeah, thank you so will. much for having me. This has been so special. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm Kit Kennedy and this is Unchurchable. <laughs>